Tonight's Old Testament reading is Psalm 107, verses 1 through 22. It can be found on page 2 in your bulletin. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Welcome. Uh, my name is Tom Carpenter. I serve as one of the elders uh, here, and I have the privilege of opening God's Word tonight that we might learn uh, from it. So would you join me in praying for our time? Lord Jesus, we pray you would meet us here tonight as you already have. God, we thank you for worship. We thank you for the way it stirs our hearts and stirs our minds. And Lord, we pray you would do the same in your Word. God, might you make it alive to us tonight. And God, I pray the words of my mouth would be glorifying to you. And God, might you teach us tonight through your word. I ask these things in your name. Amen. So as I mentioned, um, I'm an elder here at Grace Downtown. And my family and I have actually been here at downtown for just over 13 years, uh, which seems pretty crazy with all the different turnover. We certainly didn't put ourselves here that long. Uh, and yet now, uh, through God's faithfulness, I think we're, we're probably lifers. I don't know if you can say that in D.C., but to the extent you can, uh, that is us. And um, so my family, the, the first Sunday we came here, I remember it was Easter of 2005. My oldest daughter, who is now 13, uh, Ellie, was about three or four months old. And, and that was really the beginning. And we also have two other kids uh, my 11-year-old daughter, Ansley, and my 10-year-old son, Addis. Um, and so it's kind of cool that we have been able to raise our family in this church, uh, raise our family in the city, and that our time in this church has really completely coincided uh, with our time as being parents. 
And for those that are parents or that have been parents for a long time or who would like to be parents, you know, when I became a father, uh, I remember, you know, entering it with all the same a trepidation. I think a lot of guys enter fatherhood. Am I really cut out for this to be somebody's father? Um, but also a lot of excitement, uh, like all the things that, that you are excited about, about being a dad. And for me, I, I didn't want to be an ordinary dad. I wanted to be the dad that was down on the ground, that was, you know, building the forts, the dad that was coming up with crazy games, the dad that was leading his family on long car trips despite uh, their cries of, of make it cease. We've done a few of those. And, um, and part of that also was uh, being a dad at, at the end of the day, kind of in the bedtime routine. And for me, I often thought about, you know, you know, you get the kids together, you read tons of books, like all these things. I always say, nobody ever starts off wanting to be a lackluster father. It just kind of happens. You just kind of get uh, worn down. And so when reading time came, you know, we, we quickly went into the classics, and our kids are pretty tightly together, so usually at, from the very beginning it was, it was all three. And, uh, and we started with the classics of kids' books, you know, the Dr. Seuss and the Hungry Caterpillar and, and maybe uh, Where the Wild Things Are. But, I, you know, I don't know if you spent much time with uh, children's literature in a while, but once you get through the classics, there's a lot of garbage out there. I mean, you... <laughs> I don't know who publishes these stories, but, um, you know, there's no plots, there's no danger, the, the characters seem to always get along and be happy. It's just like a lot of puppy dogs and ice cream. And, uh, and so I said, kids, you know, we're, we're, we're diving into real life here, and so your father is going to begin telling you stories. And, um, <laughs> because we don't want to deal with any of the junk here. And, um, and so... And I got to tell you, I, I don't want to boast, um, but I'm a, I was a pretty good storyteller at the beginning. Uh, some of my classics, uh, Sam the Acorn, it's about an acorn that lived uh, in an oak tree in Lincoln Park on Capitol Hill. He was not content, like the rest of his family, to just grow fat and fall lazily to the ground. He wanted to see the world, so he began rolling, and he had a grand adventure throughout the city and the world. And... Um, and Lily, the laurel tree, it's, laurels are actually more like shrubs, but um, if you're familiar, a laurel is an evergreen, lives in the mountains, and uh, Lily was a, was a happy laurel bush and uh, lived with all her friends, the oak trees and everybody else, but as the fall came, she noticed everybody started to change. Their colors started to change, they began to get drowsy, and next thing you know, Lily was all by herself awake during wintertime on the mountain, and um, you know, to kind of bring home like, hey... It's not all roses here, kids. And, um, and the nice thing with kids when you're telling stories is that you can, you don't have to change much when they're little. Like, you know, you can change a character's name or a slight twist on the plot line and you've delivered a brand new story. Uh, but, but my kids quickly kind of caught on like, Dad, that sounds a lot like, you know, this other story you told two nights ago. Um, and so then I came up with this idea, well, you know, all right, here's the, here's the idea, kids. Uh, everybody gets to put their own part of the story in. Like, you know, we're, we're all going to sit together, and you get to put in a character or a plot or a theme, and then your father, the grand storyteller that he is, is going to weave all these together. And, um, and Ellie would normally have some kind of warrior princess, 
Ansley was always an animal. Uh, Addis usually had a sports star, or often Addis was more like a boy named Addis. Addis always <laughs> placed himself in the story. And, and I, don't know if, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to weave together a tale with uh, Bryce Harper, a sparkle warrior princess, and a dolphin with a hurt fin, but um, <laughs> it, gets, it gets a little trippy as you get there. And, and the worst was towards the end, uh, you know, as I was trying to find these narratives that I could bring together towards a, a good conclusion, at times I would, I would fall asleep. I would doze off. I, um, I remember Ellie uh, one night, like, I woke out of, after clearly falling asleep. She said, Dad, Dad, are you awake? Like, what happened? You, you just said Princess Ella went to Walmart to get groceries. Like, are you, are you still telling the story? And so clearly this grand idea of mine to, to come up with a, a way to tell new stories began, to, the wheels really began to, to come off, and so it was impossible. And as my kids, uh, as their you know, inclusions in the story became more ridiculous and harder to like, combine, I did have an epiphany um, back then, which was, I mean, this is me. Like, like this is me. Who, who doesn't want to be able to tell the storyteller Put this in. This, this is what I want in my story. And I thought, isn't that just like me and my heavenly father? God is the great storyteller. From beginning to end, he was here in the beginning. He started it. There was nothing before God. He knows the beginning and the end. And yet often I'm just like my children wanting to dictate the different items of the story Isaiah 46, 9 and 11 says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I've spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Psalm 139 tells us that God knows when we sit and when we rise. That the words that are on our mouths, that come out of our mouths, that God knows them before they even come out. The psalm tells us that, that all of the days that God has for us were written in His book before any of them came to being. So God is indeed the storyteller. Author Paul David Tripp in his book, New Morning Mercy, says, Thankfully, I am not the author of my own personal story. Your story isn't an autobiography either. Your story is a biography of wisdom and grace written by another. Every turn he writes in your story is right. Every twist of the plot is for the best. Every new character and unexpected event is a tool of his grace, and each new chapter advances his purpose. And yet, we're just like kids, right? Like we, we go to our father and we say, Lord, Okay, I'm excited about the story you're telling, but um, I want an adventurous story. Uh, so could you take me on an adventure, but I want it also to be safe and comfortable. So I'm going to need a lot of money and I need a good job. Okay, tell my story. Or, or maybe it's, God, I'm so excited about the story you're about to tell, but I, I want a husband or a wife in my story. 
And I want them to be perfectly compatible with me so that I still get to be kind of independent. And I also, if you could put this husband or wife at a per- perfect place in my life where I get to live a little bit of my own life first, and then kind of afterwards I get to be a little independent. Okay, go. Tell my story. Or God, I just, I want my story to be light and fun and, and happy. Could you, I, I don't want any of the hard stuff or the sad stuff. Maybe I missed something, but I, tell my story now. Or maybe it's, you know, I, I don't really want to hear your story, God. In fact, I'm okay with it every now and again, but I'd really like to kind of do my own thing and come back for the good parts of your story. Can we, can we do that deal? And in the same way, my daughter Ellie kind of freaked out appropriately when I fell asleep in the middle of the story. That's the way we are when things go off the rails, right? Are you still there, God? Are, are you still telling the story? Because the sadness and the pain and the trials and the tribulation right now, it, it feels like you're not there. Are you, are you still awake, God? That's us. But thankfully, God of the Bible and the God of the universe is a patient God. And He tells our story with grace and patience and He leads and guides us and He hears our cries despite uh, our desires to tell our own story. So our scripture this evening, Psalm 107, is instructive as we think about God as the storyteller. And I don't know if you noticed in the psalm, and we, we didn't have room to put the whole thing in, so... You might need your Bible or your phone to to go along tonight. Um, But really, the psalmist in Psalm 107 gives us four little vignettes, four stories of groups of people that are in different trials and tribulations that God then delivers. And so as we think about the psalm, I want to think about two points tonight. How does the storyteller tell our story? And what does it mean to trust the storyteller? So how does the storyteller tell the story? And how might we trust God as he does it? Psalm 107 gives us four accounts. If you will open your Bibles um, or your phones or your bulletins, at least for the first three parts. We'll start off in verse four. The first group, it says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. So this is a group, likely the nation of Israel, not just in a desert, but in a desert, and they don't know where they're going. They, they don't have any direction. They, they don't know where the city is. They also don't have resources, so they're hungry and thirsty. Verse 10, the next group. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons. This group is suffering in prison. And we're told in verse 11 that they had rebelled against the words of God and spurn the counsel of the Most High. So they're actually in prison because of their own sin. The next group, verse 17, starts, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. So this is a group who is suffering seemingly of the same disease brought about by sin that causes them to be unable to eat. And then verse 23, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. These are a group of merchants who were there to trade on the sea. 
And it doesn't seem that they get into trouble right away. It says that they were out there. They saw the Lord's deeds and the wondrous works in the deep. Verse 24, But then the Lord commanded a great storm, and their courage melted. They were at their wit's end, verse 26 and 27 says. Some of you may have felt uh, similar things at different trials and tribulations. Some of you may feel them today acutely, that you feel that you are indeed in the trial. So the first sub-point about how does God tell our story? What is, how does the storyteller weave his tale? First point is it's not about us. Now that seems like a pretty weird sub-point, right? Like the whole sermon is the storyteller and my story. And the first point is it's not about you. And this is really the critical point that, that changes this narrative from one that I think our culture actually cozies up to, right? This is one that you might hear on The View or in People Magazine or Chicken Soup for the Soul if they still write that book. Um, this idea of like there's a God of the universe and He exists for my happiness. That's what He does. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is actually out for His own glory. And He's out to grow us in a way that brings us closer to Jesus. And that's all the story is ever about. That's all our stories are ever about in God's purpose. As the catechism asks us, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The purpose of our story, and this is a hard truth, I think, for us and for our culture, is not about us. And I think it's critical as we think tonight and as you go home and you think about your own story and what might God be doing, where are you misplacing the goal and the purpose? Where have you put yourself at the centerpiece when in fact it is the glory of God and His Son Jesus? Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, For my thoughts, this is God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But this, I don't, I don't mean, I hope you don't take, that God just wants us to be miserable, right? That, that that's the point, that any happiness or joy is misplaced. That's not what it is. John 15, 11, this is Jesus talking to his disciples right after he's given uh, the sermon about the vine and the branches. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I think we have to see the difference sometimes between the way our culture puts happiness or even joy, misplaces it from the God of the Bible. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances or from life. Joy, ultimately, deep, eternal joy is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And thus, God's purpose is indeed our joy. It's just in Him. Secondly, I want us to see as we think through Psalm 107 about the power of community. I don't know if you noticed as we read through these four little vignettes in Psalm 107, but there aren't any individuals here. All these four stories are groups of people, communities, if you will. And of course, we know that the Bible is full of individual stories, and we know that God has His own story for us and is using all pieces, but 
we need to see that God uses community as well. We know the individual examples. David, Noah, Sarah, Jonah, the woman at the well, Paul, Zacchaeus, Martha. All those characters in Scripture, we see God using their circumstances and people around them to tell their story. But we rarely think about the communities that God tells a story through or uses. The nation of Israel as a whole, the various tribes of Israel, the wise men, the early churches, the disciples as a whole, groups of lepers, colonies of the disabled. These are all communities that God weaves stories through. And in fact, I think sometimes our Americanism gets in the way of our understanding of the way God might use community, right? Like our our rugged individualism is what we're often known by in the U.S. We often think of ourselves kind of just these individual silos to God. And, and our church, our community is really, well, those are other silos that are kind of like us. And that's kind of what we do. That's, that's our notion of community. But God's view is much deeper, much more um, interactive with community than that. And if you've been uh, lucky enough to uh, have me as one of your member uh, interviewers as you join the church here, you know, one of my questions is, um, tell me about your pivot points in life with God. It's, it's kind of a cheap way to say, tell me about your testimony. But it's my, the point in asking the question is, where has God kind of shifted direction? Even if you didn't know it at the time, if you look back at your life, where have you seen the Lord move in ways, And I've got to tell you, after six years of listening to those stories from people in this church, they're almost always community. They're rarely just individual moments. They're friends, they're, they're roommates, they're families, they're community groups. We were not designed just to be individuals. We were designed in community. And I don't want us to lose the power of verse 3 in the psalm. The psalmist says that all the redeemed come from the east and the west and the north and the south. And if you just think about a map and the type of cultures and people and the differences that come from the east and the west and the north and the south, there's a reason we talk about cross-cultural ministry so much here. It's not because it's a moment. It's not because it's politically correct. It's because we see scriptures deeply bathed in this concept that the kingdom of God comes from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and thus the community that God might use to tell your story might look really different than you. So it'd be a great thing if you knew a little bit about that, if we knew each other, maybe where we come from and how our cultures interact and how they produce the view of God that we might Come with. So my prayer tonight is that God might use community more in this body and in this congregation, that our stories would be uh, full of community examples. Another point I want us to see in the psalm is the way that God uses everything and every detail to tell our story. God is indeed a God of the details. Luke 12, verses 6 through 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than sparrows. Romans 8 goes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to His purpose. Our worship team led us in that beautiful song tonight, proclaiming this truth. And we don't have time to get into the bigger questions of, you know, how does God use the good and the bad? What is, what is my theology of suffering? Does God just work with it? Does He put up with it? Does, does He use it all the time? When do I know when it's being used for discipline or, or that I'm just going through a hard time? I, I wish we did, and that's a relevant question to look at. But the promises that we hear in the Scriptures and in our own lives shows that God uses the good and the bad. We know that. Our own stories are full of those things. And it doesn't always mean that it feels good, but it is good. God's purposes are so much bigger than ours. Imagine a person standing down in Times Square and expecting to know what's happening 15 blocks over. It's impossible. Versus a God that is over all and in all and that sees what's happening 15 blocks away and that leads us in that way. Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor, says in his book, The Treasury of David, if hunger brings us to our knees, it is more useful than us feasting. If thirst drives us to the fountain, it's better than the deepest droughts, droughts of worldly joys. And if fainting leads to crying, well, it's better than the strength of the mighty. If your theology does not include some view of God using suffering, then you might be trying to tell your own story. Because what storyteller that tells their own story puts suffering in place? There's no place for it. If the goal is happiness and our own fulfillment, there's no place for suffering. Only a God that knows the end and the beginning and that knows all our days and knows the things that we need is the one that is able to use even suffering for our good. I want us to turn now as we head home from knowing the storyteller and how he tells the story to trusting the storyteller. I want us to think about two points, crying out to God and proclaiming the faithfulness of God. Crying out to God, I want you to go back to Psalm 107. I want you to notice what happens with each of these groups. We started with kind of where are they, what's going on with them, what's their affliction. So the first group, those lost in the desert, verses 5 through 9, says, Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Verses 12 through 14, this is the group suffering in prison because of their sin. It says, so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Verses 18 to 20, this is the group suffering illness. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them. He delivered them from their destruction. And finally, verse 27 through 29, the group that is the merchants on the sea, it says they reeled and staggered, this is in the storm, like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, 
and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. So we know from this psalm that the Lord hears our cries. But I don't know if you noticed from these accounts, I've tried to add a little bit of emphasis. They don't cry out to God at the beginning. It appears that they are in affliction or suffering or trial for a while. But not until they get to the very end of themselves do they cry out to God. And so it's interesting tonight as we think about crying out, are we crying out for things or are we crying out for God? I think about if I was in one of these groups, if I was in the desert with the group wandering around, my first day there, I'd probably say, you know, what we need is a map. Like who, who lost the map? That, that, if we had a map, we would know where the water is and where the city is. That's what we need. Or maybe if I was in prison, second day, man, this is, uh, this is tough. And this guard over here, he's the problem. Like, he won't let us get food. And, you know, we have to take this guard out. That's the issue. It wouldn't be so bad if we, if we got rid of this harsh guard. Or maybe in the sickness before it gets absolutely unbearable. And I might say, gosh, this is annoying. I, I love food. I, I need to see a doctor. Or if I was the merchant in the sea, even as the ship looked like it was going down, I think I'd probably be the one counting life jackets and lifeboats. And what's our plan? Who's getting in which boat? There's a difference between crying out to God and crying out for things. And of course, none of these things are wrong, right? It's not wrong to look for a life jacket or to go to the doctor or to want a map, but it's different than crying out to God. It's seeking things rather than the true source of joy, rather than the storyteller that knows the end, who started it from the beginning. God hears us when we cry, but He hears us when we cry to Him. So congregation, I urge you, cry out to the Lord, not because, not just because He's good and faithful, but because He's better. Can you imagine if the group sat in the desert who wanted a map over the fact that God was going to give them a land of milk and honey? Imagine the difference between what I'm crying out for and what God longs to deliver them. Imagine complaining about a guard when God longs to break you out of prison and give you true and everlasting freedom. Imagine just wanting to feel better when God longs to heal you forever. So I ask you to think tonight, when is the last time you cried out to God? The last point on trusting the storyteller is proclaiming God's faithfulness. I don't know what you think about the word proclaim. Uh, my mind sometimes kind of goes to some street preachers I remember in high school and college, or maybe it's somebody on the street in protest yelling something out, or maybe it's somebody trying to sell tickets at the Nats game and looking for a buyer. But the truth is we proclaim every day, right? Like we proclaim things. It's not just kind of talking about it. It is these things are true and I feel them. 
know, for me, I, I proclaim the glory of, of a show I just watched that Leah and I just finished. You know, have you seen Poldark? Like, Ross Poldark is so great. Have you seen him? I proclaim that. We might proclaim our disdain for politics or politicians standing at our Facebook page ready to send out a proclamation to the world that will likely change the politics of the universe. <laughs> we want to proclaim it. We might proclaim our frustration with a coworker or with a roommate. Whispers in the hallway, we're proclaiming, I'm done. I'm done with this person. But how much do we proclaim about God's faithfulness in our life? If we go back to Psalm 107 at the very beginning, verses 1 and 2, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble. In verses 8, 15, and 21, they're all the same. It says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. This is right after God has delivered them. He says, Of course, let them proclaim it. And then verse 31, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. I wonder, church, do our, do the words we use in our congregation include the proclaiming of God's faithfulness? Or are those that hear the story of our lives more likely to chalk it up to hard work or not being quite lucky enough or a good connection? or not a great personality, what are they hearing? So let us remember God's faithfulness in the way we talk about it. That this community, that our church might know each other's stories better, not just because of the details we know, but because we know of God's faithfulness. That God's faithfulness in your story might encourage me. And it might shine a light to this city. So as we conclude, I want you to know that I stand before you as an elder of this church. And for some, that may give you the impression that this guy's got it all together. But I tell you, there's nobody that needs this message more than I do. I often feel tossed about by the winds and the waves and every emotion or every circumstance. I long to be a man that stands firmly on the rock of Christ and on the faithfulness of God as my storyteller. So in this, I implore you to trust God. I implore you to think through your own story. To know that God is good and that He uses all things, even the hard things, even things that may be happening right now. God promises to use them for our good. So I pray that we would know Him. That we would know that He hears our cries. And that we would proclaim His faithfulness in this church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for your sovereignty, for your providence. Lord, for the way you weave together our stories. Lord Jesus, may we know that more fully. May we trust your faithfulness. God, may we proclaim it.
to each other. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.